This episode of Well Disguised is going to be about the Deep Purple album Perpendicular. Now, it is not going to be me actually sitting here and playing Perpendicular in its entirety. I know that seems obvious, but I feel like it's important for me to say that, and if you'll indulge me a little bit of backstory before I get going, I'll explain why. If you're a longtime Well Disguised listener, first of all, thank you. But second of all, you may remember my second episode was Coverdale Page. Uh, that was the title of it, and it was about the 1993 collaboration between Whitesnake frontman David Coverdale and Led Zeppelin maestro Jimmy Page. Now, if one looks at the statistics, it has been not only one of my most played episodes, most downloaded, I think is the terminology in podcasting, it's also consistently one of the most downloaded, even to this day. It frequently gets hit more than a lot of other episodes, and I've never really understood why. I mean, I know Coverdale and Page are big celebrities, but I've done episodes on other hugely famous bands with large followings. So that didn't seem like it could be it. I've, I've thought about in the past going back and trying to look at the description that I wrote for that episode to see if maybe there were certain keywords or buzzwords I had used that maybe, you know, not on purpose, not a practice thing, but maybe I had found something that matched with the algorithms that promoted that episode in some form or fashion in some way. I wasn't sure. It's always been a little bit of a mystery to me, but I think I solved it because a few weeks ago I decided I wanted to listen to some Coverdale Page. So I went on Spotify. Now, I have bought the record I'm back in, I think it's 1993, I bought the CD and have long since uploaded it to my iTunes account. So obviously I have access to it, but you know, Spotify is easier. So I opened up Spotify and that way I know it's fractions of a penny, but hey, I bought it back in 1993 and now you're still getting a little a little piece out of me because I'm playing it on Spotify so everybody wins anyway so I go on the Spotify search engine thing and type in Coverdale page guess what came up not the record but my episode and then again you know the light bulb goes on and I'm like oh I get it now Coverdale page is not available on streaming services. I'm pretty sure it was available back when I did that episode because that's what I think I was listening to at the time. But for whatever reason, maybe I'm wrong about that too, it's not available anymore. And so you kind of see the big-headed ego starting to deflate at this point as I realize it's not that everyone loves this Coverdale page episode they've heard so much about from their friends and newspapers and national media. It's just that they're looking for the actual record and stumbling across my episode. Well, guess what else isn't on Spotify? On actually, I think most of those streaming services. Deep Purple's Perpendicular. But I'm shamelessly calling this episode just Perpendicular in the same way that I called that second episode, Coverdale Page, back then when I didn't even know to think to try to make semi-creative names for my episodes. Anyway, if you're stumbling across this looking for the music, you're going to have to go buy it, or I know they have it on YouTube. You can find almost anything on YouTube. You can stream it from there. But this is going to be my amateurish kind of goofy thoughts about Deep Purple. Sorry. Also, 
Uh, by the way, my name is John Pritchard. I'm the host of Well Disguised. This is obviously not a regularly scheduled episode because I don't have regularly scheduled episodes anymore. It's been more than two months, I think, since my last episode about Mississippi Bones. You know, when I started this, I read about podcasts and, oh, it's good to have a schedule, come out regularly, blah, blah, blah. And back in lockdown or whatever, I was able to do that, but I just can't do it anymore. I've got family and work and all the other obligations that probably most of you have. I've also got some other ideas and things that I kind of want to work on, so I just can't keep up with that bi-weekly schedule anymore. I also put out some episodes, I'll be honest with you, I'm not 100% proud of. I put out some episodes that are really just content, and I don't need to be putting out content just for the sake of having content. And It's not that type of operation, or I even hesitate to call it a business because it's not a business. It's just a little hobby, so why should I try to do that? I'm not going to do that anymore. Episodes will not be going up every other Tuesday anymore, obviously. Episodes will be about things I want to talk about, and when they are done, that's when they'll go up. For that reason, although it's obnoxious to ask, I would request that you subscribe or whatever you need to do in your player of choice, just so you don't miss one. It's not going to be any kind of regular schedule anymore, but but if I'm going to do the episodes, I'm happy for people to listen to them, so that's the best way to make sure you don't miss one. Okay, that's more than enough about me. I want to do this episode about Perpendicular, the 1996 album by Deep Purple, the first album with Steve Morse in the band having replaced Richie Blackmore. Now, I'm 46 years old at the time of this recording, and this album really sounds to me like middle-aged rock, and I mean that in the best possible way. Let's talk about it after the music. Fair warning before we get started, this is not a deep dive podcast. If that's what you're into, you're in the wrong place for that. If that's what you're into, there is already the exceptional Deep Purple podcast by Nate and John. They put out episodes every week, which is really, that's really incredible. I think they're in the episode like the 120 or 130 something. They've done a ton of episodes on Deep Purple. Actually, though, and, and, and they do it on the entire Deep Purple family, so that branches out into Ian Gillen's solo work and Glover's and, and you know, everybody's, Rainbow, Whitesnake, Dio. It's a huge family tree with Deep Purple, obviously, but I do think somehow they still have not done an episode, to my knowledge, on the album Perpendicular. And my nightmare is that once I finally get this stupid episode out, that's when they're going to drop one and I will get lost in the wake. But anyway, Well Disguised is not deep dive. It's about my opinions and musings and non-historical stuff. I'm not smart enough. 
researched enough or really interested enough to do that sort of thing. So I just want you to know what you're getting into if this is your first time listening. Well disguised, for better or for worse, it's about me and what I'm into and what I want to talk about. All right. This will probably become important later on, or maybe not, I guess, depending on your perspective, but I just want to start with this. When Perpendicular came out, Ian Gillen, the lead vocalist in Deep Purple, was 50 years old. John Lord was 54. Roger Glover was 50. Ian Pace was 47. And Steve Morse, the new guitar player, was 41. In other words, a bunch of middle-aged men with a long and fractious history although wildly successful. But enough of my blathering for almost nine minutes at this point. Let's listen to the opening seconds from the first track on the record entitled Vavoom, Ted the Mechanic. You hear that? That's very purposeful in my opinion. You hear that staccato noise at the beginning of the song that goes for six, seven, eight seconds, and then it descends immediately into a classic deep purple riff. In other words, it goes from something you are not likely to ever hear and does not sound anything at all like the more classically minded Richie Blackmore play first, and then to exactly the kind of riff that might have belonged on in rock that doom 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 I don't think that's an accident. I think Deep Purple was starting with something that definitely was not Richie Blackmore to show you this is not going to be Richie Blackmore and then go and do something pretty quickly that's a little more comfortable. Of course, this is what Perpendicular is ultimately most famous for. It wasn't the first Purple record without Richie Blackmore. And the first one was Steve Morse on guitar. This was a colossally big deal at the time. Put a couple of rock fans in a room and it won't be too long before they talk about bands that have changed their lead singers and how that works. I think I've made the joke before that the Dave versus Sammy Van Halen debate is kind of rock and roll's answer to sports talk radio and whether Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame or not. It's, a, it's an easy way to spend some time. Lead singers don't get replaced too often, but when you think about it, legendary guitar players, maybe even a little less so. I mean, Jimmy Page never got kicked out or left Led Zeppelin. Eddie Van Halen, obviously. Pete Townsend, David Gilmore, Keith Richards, Tony Iommi. Guitar players usually don't leave legendary bands for what is probably an obvious reason. They're too important to the band's sound. They're just simply too important to rock and roll. Now, there are obviously some exceptions. Slash, Joe Perry, Ace Fraley. There's three, but they also all have something in common too, and that's that they all later rejoined the bands that they left. Michael Shanker of the Scorpions is, I guess, one that counts for leaving and leaving for good, although I think there's some extenuating circumstances there, including the fact that there's another Shanker in the band. You know, Peter Green did a lot of drugs, lost his mind, and left Fleetwood Mac. And I suppose Richie Blackmore, in fact, counts, having left Deep Purple before uh, and being replaced by Tommy Bolin. 
Although maybe that's the exception that proves the rule. Because like Slash, Joe Perry, and Ace Fraley, he eventually came back to Deep Purple. And that album, although loved by some Deep Purple fans, basically ended the band. Deep Purple folded after it and was on ice for several years. I know that there are other examples, but I think the point is made, generally at least, in that this Steve Morse thing with a guitarist replacing a band's legendary guitarist doesn't really happen all that often. I mean, I love Richie Blackmore and refuse to listen to Perpendicular or any of the post-Blackmore Deep Purple records for a long time. But when I did, I got it. And part of that reason is, as I get a little bit more into the Richie Blackmore versus Steve Morse thing, is that Steve Morse, like Tommy Bolin, is so highly skilled. There's a reason that before he ever joined the band, Steve Morse was voted by Guitar Player Magazine the best guitarist for five years in a row. Many would say, and probably accurately, that he's a more technically skilled guitar player than Richie Blackmore. That said, I don't know that any of that really matters. I mean, it doesn't matter how skilled you are. The the truth is that every single Deep Purple song that's ever been played on the radio that really matters was played by Richie Blackmore and, with a couple of exceptions, including Hush, was co-written by Richie Blackmore. Steve Morse simply, whether it's too late or he's not that type of songwriter or what have you, is not going to have that those moments in history that Blackmore has. The Deep Purple songs that matter were all played on and co-written by Blackmore. And we all know this. We all know that there's a difference between technical virtuosity and just feel. To go back to a sports analogy, there are pitchers who could throw it faster than Greg Maddox of the Atlanta Braves ever could. But there's a very short list of pitchers who was better than Greg Maddox. And that's not to say that Richie Blackmore was some punk rocker who started in his basement three weeks before he played his first gig. Richie Blackmore was tremendously skilled, tremendously thoughtful, and that's one of the reasons he was able to create so many great songs. Blackmore is a true virtuoso. He's just a little different than Steve Morse. And I'm also not trying to say that Steve Morse is some soulless automaton either. Steve Morse has often said in interviews that Richie Blackmore could have made life very difficult for him if he had wanted to. But Blackmore wasn't rough on him at all. Actually, he's really, to my knowledge at least, he's never said a bad word about Steve Morse in the press. Steve Morse clearly has Richie Blackmore's respect. Talent respects talent, right? But there are some things fundamentally different between the two players. And maybe that's this. It's often been said, or the analogy has been made, that playing the guitar is sort of like lovemaking. I think Prince is the one who jumps and leaps to mind when I think of that, but there's lots of guitar players who, you know, kind of close their eyes and arch back and make little coo-looking faces with their mouth or what have you. There's also the anecdote, though, that Pete Townsend of The Who is the very opposite of that. That when you watch Pete Townsend and you listen to Pete Townsend, you don't get that vibe at all. What you see is a man fighting with his guitar every time on stage. And if you take those as two polar opposites, Richie Blackmore is a lot closer to the Townsend edge of the spectrum. And that's part of what you see on Perpendicular. Because Perpendicular does not have darkness at its heart. And when I say it's a middle-aged record, 
That's sort of what I'm getting at. The conflict is missing from the music on Perpendicular. And maybe that's what you hope you get to when you're middle-aged. Now, Deep Purple had some wonderfully evocative album titles during the period of the Mark II Reformation. The comeback album was deliciously called Perfect Strangers, a fine album title for a band that was feeling each other out and coming back together after several years apart. But the album that preceded Perpendicular is maybe even better. It was called The Battle Rages On. And you could listen to the lyrics of the title track on The Battle Rages On, and it does not necessarily seem to be about inner band strife. But there's no mistaking the appropriateness and the wink of that song being the title track for the Deep Purple record. But on Perpendicular, the battle is over. The rage is gone. This is how the band survives. The moody, dark Richie Blackmore, always in conflict, especially with Ian Gillen, the lead singer, is now removed. And in his place is the easygoing, affable, American, little jazzy guitar maestro, fully ready to even increase a little bit Deep Purple's prog tendencies. I mean, Deep Purple was always a muso band. You know, not maybe not quite to the Dire Straits type level, but yeah, it, Deep Purple was a bunch of virtuosos coming together, right? Deep Purple was always super talented and smart, and now just with a little less heat. It might hurt them in albums to come, and I think even a diehard Deep Purple fan would probably agree with that. But it didn't hurt them on Perpendicular. I would never call Richie Blackmore a cancer, but the mood in the band had become toxic. And on Perpendicular, they came together in a way they hadn't been able to do before, at least in a long time. Their ambition and this refreshed approach won the day. Now, I've been blabbing on for a while. Let's listen to some reasons why I absolutely dig this record. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite lyrics of all time. Did you know the warriors of the flats have become the tyrants of the globe? It's round about that time again. She cried as all for one of my friends. All my dreams I soon forgotten. You leave me on the show. That's from the song Soon Forgotten. And Ian Gillen, I've always thought, has a lot of clever wordplay in his lyrics. I like how this song begins. You didn't hear it there, but he says, Sometimes I just sit and wonder. Sometimes I just sit. Which, again, I think kind of goes a little bit to my theme of middle age and maybe even getting slightly older. But it's that lyric that you hear that's repeated two or three times in the song that was first in that little snippet I played. Did you know the warriors of the flat earth have become the tyrants of the globe? Now, I don't know what your politics are, but I think it almost doesn't matter what your politics are. I think you can find some meaning and relevance in that lyric. For me personally, I'm shocked that sometimes we still have people killing each other for the same reasons and religions that they did centuries ago when the everyone thought the world was flat. Anyway, I like Soon Forgotten a lot, but I probably like the next song on the album, Sometimes I Feel Like Screaming Even More. And it has one of my favorite guitar solos of all time that fades out. And then you hear Ian Gillen really going for it in a way maybe he hadn't done in a long time. Let's listen to that. It 
Yeah, baby. That's probably far too long a snippet for fair use, but I don't care. It's not like I'm getting paid to do this anyway. I just had to let it go a little bit because I wanted you to be able to hear Ian Gillen and those screams and putting to shame some of those 80s hair metal guys who aped his style. But what's really fantastic there, although Ian sounds wonderful, is that is such a tremendous, beautiful, emotional solo by Steve Morse. So again, when I said earlier, I'm not saying he's just some soulless virtuoso. If you don't believe me, go listen to that. Another of the highlights on the album is the song, The Aviator. It's different than a lot of other Deep Purple songs. It's got more of a folky edge. But when I talked about this kind of being a middle-aged record, listen to this a little bit. Maybe you'll see a little bit more of what I mean. that from a band that was in the Guinness Book of World Records as world's loudest band at one point. Those lyrics may resonate with you a little too when Ian sings, I'm tired of the news, I'm tired of the weather, I'm tired of the same thing every day. I'm the aviator. A dream's a dream, whatever they say. Hopefully you can hear some of what Steve Morse was allowing Deep Purple to do on Perpendicular. It wasn't just replacing Richie Blackmore. No one could replace Richie Blackmore, really. But he could expand what Deep Purple was and make Deep Purple a new band where Steve Morse fit in. They even got on the song Rose's Cantina, they got back into that funk stuff that Blackmore hated so much. Check it out. Thank you. 
Now, I need to be fair. Richie Blackmore basically did the same thing that Deep Purple did. Richie Blackmore had always wanted Deep Purple to be a hit band. He was concerned with their early approach, and after the concerto with band and orchestra sold not that great, he said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're making a big rock album next. We're going to try to be more like Led Zeppelin or whatever. And we got In Rock, one of the finest rock albums of all time, and certainly one of the most influential to anybody who has ever said they love heavy metal. It's a it's a proto-metal album, and Deep Purple is certainly one of the founders of that entire sound. When Richie formed Rainbow, he made three classic albums with Ronnie James Dio, but then parted ways with Dio, kind of forced him out, when he decided he wanted to go more for that foreigner, Boston, Journey-style music to try to get hits, to not have... Ronnie singing, you know, about knights and green sleeves and wizards and that sort of thing. Richie wanted to go get on the charts. And that was successful to some extent. It was more successful in Europe than it was in the United States. But there are rainbow songs that you will hear on 80s radio and that sort of thing. Since You've Been Gone, All Night Long, I Surrender. These may not necessarily be staples, but to some degree they were at least modest hits. Rainbow fizzled out. Richie went back to Deep Purple for that famous reformation in the mid-80s and had some success again. And it was during that time of putting Deep Purple back together that, according to her, Candace Knight was watching some guys play soccer, football for our European friends. Included in their number was Richie Blackmore. And went up and asked one of them to get Richie Blackmore's autograph. And Richie Blackmore ended up asking her out for a date. And 32 years later, they are still together, married with two children, and in a band together called Blackmore's Nine. Out of Deep Purple for the final time, he didn't go for chart success again. He didn't go for popularity, and uh, he didn't try to sell a lot of records. Instead, he got with his bride and pursued his muse, not only her, but the classically influenced renaissance fair type music that is in his heart and his passion that classical music and it's music with absolutely no chance of pop success Shadow of the Moon from the album Shadow of the Moon, the very first song from Blackmore's Night. Just a little snippet there to give you some of the flavor. It's actually probably a little more commercial than some of their other stuff. But again, Richie Blackmore was fine. He basically retired from rock and roll. He formed a band with his wife and they made renaissance kind of music together. And ultimately that kind of makes sense. After all, he was middle-aged too. In 2016, Stephen Hyden published a book called Your Favorite Band is Killing Me. It's a book about musical rivalries from the obvious like the Beatles and the Stones or Tupac and Biggie to some less obvious ones like Smashing Pumpkins versus Pavement. 
Chapter 7 in his book is about Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. To be honest, I think Haydn's a little unfair to Clapton. You can probably figure out what the general arc of this rivalry, so-called rivalry, is about because there wasn't much rivalry or certainly any hostility between Jimi and Clapton. But obviously, Hendrix put out a few great records, then died and went away. He didn't go on to have his fashion period or his dad blues rock period like Clapton did. If he was alive, I don't have much doubt that at some point Jimi Hendrix would have done like the Santana thing and put out something with Rob Thomas singing along. I don't know. But he didn't. He died and left this glorious short collection of music while Clapton has survived. There's a part in the essay where Haydn writes, Death is a drawn-out process that takes place over the course of decades, weakening us every step of the way. Death is what starts to happen after you leave cream. That's really good. Although, again, I still think Haydn's a little unfair to Clapton in this essay. Harsh or not, Haydn goes on in this essay to talk about interviewing one of his musical heroes, Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Gene Ween, from the band Ween. And there's a quote from that interview that makes me think a little bit about Perpendicular. Freeman, a.k.a. Gene Ween, was talking about getting older. And here's what he said. It gets to a point where you realize that you've been in this rock and roll world for so many years and it's time to just take responsibility. Haydn writes that Freeman wanted his music to grow up as well in ways I assumed he couldn't possibly be serious about but insisted that he was. I've always said from a young age that as I get older, I want to get lamer, in a good way. I want to morph into, like, Phil Collins and Elton John type stuff. So that's kind of what I'm doing with this. This is like a little stepping stone. It's going to get much worse in a great way, but that's how I want to evolve, or devolve as it were. It's the process of life, he argued. You're just not as hip as you were. And it's always bothered me when I see aging rock stars who don't embrace that fully and who try to be young and hip. You see some wrinkled up old rocker with tattoos all over him. He's not fooling anybody, you know. He's like an old fart. When I'm an old fart, I want to really embrace it. In some ways, I think this is closer to the mark. I've probably understated the intense conflict between Ian Gillen and Richie Blackmore specifically, and Richie Blackmore and the rest of the band as well at the end. But perpendicular is middle age. This is cutting out distractions. It's taking care of yourself a little bit, going to the doctor a little more, and maybe exercising a little bit, focusing on what's really important to you. There's that poem about raging against the dying of the light. But sometimes, just to get to the end of the light, you need to survive for a while. You need to make it so that you can survive. I don't know. Maybe you should forget my dumb metaphors. This is a good record. It's the best Deep Purple record of the post-Blackmore era. What it lacks in heat, it makes up for in professionalism and a refresh of Deep Purple's more expansive, proggier side. Deep Purple with Blackmore were mutually assured destruction if they stayed together. Blackmore divorced the band, married his young bride, formed a band and a life with her, and, at least metaphorically if not literally, retired to the countryside. Deep Purple didn't go get a Corvette and a young blonde. Instead, they got a Lincoln 
and focused on being really happy with one another. That really doesn't sound so bad. Thanks for listening, everyone. Best way to find me is on Twitter at well underscore disguised. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you around before too long.